We're, we're mixing in that monthly initiative of prayer is the mu- a must in the month of August. But then we're also gearing up for our missions conference, and I believe the Lord just have us get ready for that. We're going to talk today about being moved by the multitude. Moved by the multitude. Matthew 9, verse 35. Matthew 9 and verse 35. And the Bible says here, And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, and preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them, because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, The harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. So with that command to pray, let us do just that. Let's bow our heads and talk to our Father. Lord, as we come to you, we've just been told what to pray about. To pray for laborers to be sent into the harvest. But Lord, no doubt that is a larger discussion. We pray that today the Spirit of God might speak to us further on this incredibly important topic. I pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit. Help me to speak boldly. And uh, Lord, at the same time, to do it in love. Lord, I pray that every listener now would have ears to hear. Please, God, meet with us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. This issue of the harvest, you can see it in the passage. This is incredibly close to the heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is something that weighs heavy on him. Jesus, as we've been studying, he taught his disciples to pray, right? That was the request they made, Lord, teach us to pray. He told them several things about prayer. He told them to pray about certain things, right? Give us this day our daily bread. Uh, Thy will be done on earth as it is. So he told them certain things to pray about But this is the only time that we have recorded where Jesus goes to his disciples with something on his heart and says, here's my prayer request. This is not him saying, when you step in the closet, talk to the Father about these uh, broad issues. This is something very specific, something very heavy on his heart. Have you ever done that? Something's just weighing you down and you call up a loved one or somebody that you know. They know how to pray. And you go to them and say, please help me pray about this. This is the only time Jesus did it. The only time something was so heavy, he said, you guys got to help me pray. Pray ye therefore, the Lord of the harvest, that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. If it is that close to his heart, if it's weighing on him, should it not also weigh on us? If Jesus is moved by the multitude, how is it that you and I, should not also be moved by the multitude. But where does it start? This getting moved, this being gripped or moved with compassion, where does it start? I would like to think, and it's too bad life isn't this easy, that if Jesus says it, we just automatically get on board with it, right? I mean, even in our discipleship book, there's a couple of points I have in there about being baptized and going to church and, you know, simple things like that. Why do we do it? Jesus said so. Why do we preach the gospel? Jesus said so. I wish everything was that easy. Be moved by the multitude. Okay, done. Let's pray. <laughs> we can just go home. I wish it was that easy, but unfortunately, it's, it's not always that, that simple. 
Where did it start? Well, for Jesus, in verse 35, it says he went about all the cities and villages teaching and preaching. Where does it start? My first point is this. It it started in this passage with some preaching. Jesus went to these cities and villages, and he got one-on-one with people. He got his hands dirty, so to speak. He's right down there with them. He's hearing their problems. He's dealing with it. If you have ever tried to minister to people with the gospel, then the rest of this message is going to come easy to you. But if you have never tried to speak to somebody about the Lord Jesus Christ, if you have never been involved in a gospel ministry, have you ever seen Charlie Brown? How many of you have seen Charlie Brown? Everybody seen that cartoon? All right, how many of you remember Charlie Brown's teacher? Remember, he picks up the phone, or the mom picks up the phone, and wah, 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 wah. that's Charlie Brown's teacher. So if you've never been in the cities and villages teaching and preaching peop- uh, to people about the Lord Jesus Christ, the rest of this sermon might sound like, wah, 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 wah. <laughs> like I don't, I don't get what's, what's the big deal about the multitude? The multitude has been there your whole life. Why would it just today all of a sudden, oh, well, pastor said there's a problem with the multitude, boom, now I'm moved. It's probably not going to be that easy. So to get the full weight of what's to follow in this passage, I'm going to suggest that all you got to do is head out there and give it a try. And if you're a bit shy about it, come with me. We were, what, 15, 20 of us on Saturday morning that went out witnessing? Come with us. You don't have to say a word, just walk with and listen to the heartaches of the people and, and hear what they're going through. Listen to the confusions they have about God and Christ and the Bible. And it won't take long before you'll be moved by the condition of the multitude. Jesus said it like this, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. You can tell very quickly who's following Christ and who isn't because the followers of Christ will have a hook in the water. They'll always have a hook in the water. They'll have a net in the back of their bucky. Any moment, ready to cast the net. Who knows? Let down your nets for the draft. You might be pulling in a multitude of fishes. You'll always be ready to catch a fish. Follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. From what I've been told, I don't know this by personal experience that much because I'm not much of a fisherman. I, I, I do more fishing for men than I do the work of a fisherman. But I've done some fishing, and I've, I know a little bit. It can be quite frustrating, right? The fish are not agreeable. It's not like they just swim, swim up and go, oh, a hook? <laughs> it's not like that. The first time I ever went proper fishing, my dad took me fishing one time when I was a little bit young. I was in my teen, teenage years. <laughs> we went out down next to the creek, and that's a creek, by the way, sorry. Southern English, crick. We went down there by the crick, and my dad tried to pull the, the rod back, and when he went to cast, he cast the hook right up into the trees, and it never made it into the water, and that was it. We couldn't get it out of the trees, so we, just, we went home. So I didn't have much of, ex- of an experience with fishing. And then one day as a, as a missionary, I was at a church visiting, and a bunch of the missionaries and pastors were going to go out on a fishing expedition and fish for sturgeon. How many of you know what the fish called sturgeon looks like? 
Okay, a few fishermen in the room. That's a fairly hefty fish now that I know that now. When they said sturgeon, I, that might have been a goldfish or a guppy. or a, I, I didn't know a sturgeon from a shark. I had no idea. They said, you want to go fishing for sturgeon? Absolutely. Sign me up. I just want to hang out with the guys, actually, for a day. So I'm out there, you know, pretending like I know what I'm doing. I put bait on the hook. I throw it out there. And wouldn't you know it, I'm the first one to catch something. I'm so excited. Ooh, ooh, I got to, ooh, I'm winding that thing in. They, they, so some of the other guys rush over and go, no, 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 you're doing it wrong. You got to tease it out and go slow. I was like, fish. <laughs> I wind that thing to shore and we pulled it out. And I kid you not, that thing was this. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> fish stories, right? It, it was probably about this range right in here. Okay. It was probably about that big. Nothing to write home about unless you're me and you've never caught a fish. My first fish. My first fish. I was so happy. I still have the photos to this day of me kissing that fish. <laughs> Why not? My first fish. Right? I was so happy. Look at this, man. And, and I'm looking at it thinking, yeah, that's a pretty good sized fish. And the pastor, one of the pastors took it off the hook and he said, thank you, Brother Flick. This will be a big help. He put it there on the, on the boat and chop, 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 chop. And I thought, what, what, what are we doing? He said, this is the bait to catch the sturgeon. I caught the bait. I caught the little fish. I thought it was a big fish. I just caught the little fish. You know what? That was the only fish I caught that day. That was the only contribution I had. I caught the first little piece of bait so that others could do the real fishing. I found something out that day. You know, fishing's a lot more complicated than you think. It's a lot more challenging than you think. There's a lot to it. I appreciate a little bit better now what fishermen actually have to go through. Why? Because I tried. Before you can appreciate verse 36, 37, 38, you might need a little bit of verse 35. You need to just dip a hook in the water. You say, but I'm not going to make a big splash. I'm not going to make a big difference. Okay, just catch the bait. <laughs> if all you can do is hold the tracks so that somebody else can open a Bible and, and witness, do that. But put a, put a hook in the water. At least try. The next thing in verse 36. It says, when he saw the multitudes. Now you see him every day, but do you see him like this? Because when we see the multitudes, we look at what they're wearing. We look at the new hairdo that they have. Right? We look at what car they drive. We, we look at them and think, yo, that guy must have a good job. Jesus looked at the multitudes in a different way. Verse 36, he, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion on them. So my second point is this. The first point, you need a little bit of preaching so that you know just how, how challenging this is. That's verse 35. Second point, verse 36, you'll, you'll see the condition is pitiful. Jesus recognized the pitiful condition of the people. Notice it says he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. In Isaiah 53, I think you're all familiar with that chapter, at least to some extent. You know that that chapter talks about how he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes we are healed. Right? You, you know those passages just before that, it says that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
Where did he get acquainted? Verse 35. He got out there talking to the people. And he realized, these people are fainting. They are scattered abroad. He saw their suffering. The Bible says he was touched. He was touched with the feeling of their infirmity. And by the way, still to this day, touched with the feeling of our infirmities. One of the privileges of Christianity is our Savior, right? Our God did not just stay in heaven and send message from heaven. He came down from heaven, walked the earth like a man. So he is acquainted with grief like no other. He has seen literally every angle of grief. And he realizes the condition of mankind is pitiful. It's sad. In Afrikaans, this hartseer, this baie hartseer, it's heavy. It's a heavy burden. It says they fainted. That's what he saw. He looked around and he saw that they were fainting. What does that mean? Listen to this. It means they were weak. They were weary. I'm telling you what the word means. They were depressed. They were dispirited. They didn't want to go on. Let, let me slap one more meaning on there. They were just sick and tired of life. Boy, that sounds like a lot of people still today. And I'm not trying to make you feel bad if that describes you. I'm just trying to show you that Jesus sees you. And he cares about you. And he cares about what you're going through. And by the end of the passage, you're going to see that there's a plan to help you. But people are fainting. Why is it that they don't want to go on? Why is depression such a massive problem in the world? Sometimes it be, it's because life just gets tough, right? That's life. We live in a cursed world. Sometimes it's not your fault. You just, you just got stuck in life. Sometimes it's because you don't know how to handle your life. Sometimes the mess is you're making. Amen. Sometimes we bring the, the weakness on ourselves because we just bit off more than we could chew. Sometimes it's because God's been really good to us and we don't know how good we have it, so we become ungrateful. And rather than thanking God for how good he's been, all we know to do is complain about what we still want him to do. And, and we are weak. We're wearing ourselves out because we are never satisfied, ever. We, we've completely forgotten about being content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We've forgotten how to say, Lord, you're more than enough. Sometimes we faint because life is just life. The first time the word faint shows up in the Bible, it's with a man named Esau. First time the word faint shows up, the Bible says Esau came from the field and he was faint. You know what this tells me? I, I, I'm, I think this is true. I'm not a fisherman, not a hunter myself. I've done a little bit of both. But if I catch something, if I'm hunting and I, and I, and I get what I'm after, I'm energized. But if I've spent all day out there hunting and caught nothing, I'm worn out. Now, even if you catch something, you still could be worn out. But, but Esau gets home, and what is he when he gets home? He's hungry. And, and he, where, does he, where does he find food? Jacob has made a bowl of beans, some lentils, right? And rather than Esau saying, Komons braai, ek het bok 
He didn't say, I, I, have a, I, I caught something in the field. He has to get Jacob's beans. Which tells me Esau didn't do so good in the field that day, and now he's worn out. And, and some of you, this is true. Maybe help me out. You can amen this if it's true. You work hard. You're doing your best at your job. You're searching over here. You're searching over there. You're waiting for that perfect moment to come by, and nothing shows up, and none of your plans work out. And you get home, and you're frustrated, and you're tired, and you walk in, and the people in your house say, what's wrong? You say, God, I'm just so sick of this. Everything I try just doesn't work out. I come home empty-handed. Esau came from the field and he was faint. He's like, man, this is, what, why do I keep doing this? He was in the wrong frame of mind. He said, uh, can I have some of that red pottage there, some of those beans? Jacob, ever the Jew, said, uh, how much you got? You willing to sell your birthright? <laughs> and Esau says, I'm at the point of death. What good is this birthright to me? You know what? When you're faint, you make some bad decisions. When you're faint, you make some ridiculous decisions. Come on, Esau. You're not about to die. You had a bad day in the field, man. You're hungry. You're not on your deathbed. You're hungry. But boy, you find a man that's hungry enough, it'll sound like he's on his deathbed. <laughs> Sometimes we make some really bad decisions when we're in that frame of mind. But Jesus saw that the multitude was worn out. Worn out. He also saw that they were scattered abroad. Verse 36, scattered abroad. What does that mean? It's the opposite of being gathered together. What do we say when, when things are working well? Sometimes we'll say, that guy has his act together. He's together. What's the opposite of that? Man, everything's falling apart. You're scattered abroad. You're over here. You're over there. You're just running in circles and you don't even know where you're going. Scattered abroad. Jesus said it like this. He that is not with me is against me. And he that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. So if you're not busy fishing for men, if you're not busy in the harvest fields trying to bring people to the Lord of the harvest... You're allowing them to do what? To go here, there, and everywhere instead of where they need to be. To come into the sheepfold under the leadership of the great shepherd of the sheep. Jesus says, Yo, you guys are all over the place. You're just here, there, and everywhere. If you want to know what scattered abroad looks like, just go look in a bachelor's house. <laughs> just walk in and go, Whoa! What bomb went off in here? Amen. I had no idea that would go over so well, but you can tell how many bachelors are in the room. They're like, oh. <laughs> and just to be fair, so we don't pick on only the bachelors, just you could probably open a teenager's room, <laughs> right? And there are more clothes on the floor than in the closet. How'd that happen? Amen. I, I'll put myself in there. When I was a teenager, that's how it was. I, I had a large bed, and most of my closet lived on my bed. Now, to, to, to my credit, I knew where all the clothing was. If, if I needed a pair of socks, it was on the seventh layer down. I, I knew that. 
I had a system. If you come in and put stuff in drawers, I can't find it. I know where I put it. <laughs> Scattered abroad. Listen, the socks belong in a drawer. The shirts belong in the closet hanging, right? The trousers perhaps folded in the shelf, right? There's, there's a pl- Grandpa used to tell me there's a place for everything and everything in its place. Listen, there is a place where God wants you to be every day of your life. Sometimes that's going to be your job, sometimes in your home with your family, and then most certainly on the first day of the week, He wants you here. Amen. He, he wants you in the sheepfold so that the shepherd can feed you. He wants the flock to be fed. That is a biblical fact. That's not an opinion. That's how God set it up. But instead, what did Jesus find when he got here? People are here, there, and everywhere, rather than where they need to be. Just so busy, but to what end? Running so hard in life, but after what goal? What are you pressing towards? What, even if you achieve that goal, what, what would you really have? Jesus saw, in verse 36, they were scattered abroad, as sheep having no shepherd. That is what broke his heart. The, the people were trying to run their own lives as if they didn't need any spiritual leadership or guidance from above. God made this observation. Listen to this from the book of Ezekiel. God said this My sheep wandered through all the mountains. I want you to listen close to this. There's something deep in this, I think. My sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Listen to this. They wandered through the mountains. What's that? That's a valley. You're going to go through valleys. Amen. Maybe some of you are in a valley. But hey, let's admit it. Sometimes you're upon the high hill. There are going to be some mountaintop moments. That's life. Ups and downs, ups and downs. That's life. God said, my sheep wandered through all the mountains and upon every high hill. Yea, my flock was scattered upon all the face of the earth. And none did search or seek after them. They were going through the valleys and hitting the mountaintop moments, but they weren't where God wanted them to be. They were choosing where they were going to be. Two things break God, breaks God's heart about this. In verse 36, watch it deep, watch it closer. He's heartbroken that the sheep are running here and there with no direction, and they're getting tired. But he's also heartbroken that there's no shepherds looking for the sheep. That's heartbreaking. That's pitiful. That's not how the Father wants to see it. And then the next thing in verse 36, uh, 37, I'm sorry. Verse 37, then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. So in verse 35, there's some preaching. In verse 36, he sees that it's pitiful. In verse 37, He brings to our attention that the harvest is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Watch this now. There's a lot of work to be done. 
And we talked about this in the Sunday school hour. Remember, I put this in the back of your mind. Nehemiah chapter 4, the work is great and large. Okay? The, The harvest is plenteous. There is a lot of work to be done, but not enough people doing it. There's always a lot of work to be done when it comes to the gospel. At the time Jesus was saying this, in that area, it was time for harvest. In John chapter 4, do you guys remember Jesus spoke to the woman at the well? That Samaritan woman? The disciples were so surprised to see him talking to that woman. Because it's a Jew talking to a Samaritan, a man to a woman. Everything about that was just anti-cultural. But Jesus doesn't care much about culture. He's more, more about getting the truth across. So the disciples come and say, oh, what, what, are, what is this about? Do you, do, are you asking for food or water? What is it? He says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. And then he tells his disciples, listen. He says to them, say not ye there yet four months, and then cometh harvest. So from, from that time, there was going to be four months before the farmers would go in the field and get the harvest. He said, Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white, all ready to harvest. He wasn't talking about the wheat or the corn in the field. There was a a group of men coming from the CBD of Samaria to meet Jesus on the path. And he said, guys, take a look. There's the field I want you to be busy in. You're going to wait four months to go get that other fruit out of that field, that physical Ground, but but those men coming, that's the harvest. Lift up your eyes. Look on the fields. Where does it start in verse 36? He saw the multitudes. He saw them for what they really were. And he said, you see guys, here they come. They want to know the truth about Christ. Here they come. They're ready. Why were they ready? Jesus said to these apostles... I have sent you to reap whereon you bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Watch this. The prophets of Israel had been preaching and preaching and preaching and preaching for hundreds of years. There was a gap of time where God didn't send more prophets because Israel, they had rejected a lot of the light. But many prophets had been telling Israel, you better get right. The Messiah is coming. You better get right. And then finally, John the Baptist stands up and says, Repent. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There have been hundreds of years worth of preaching. Listen, what is that? That's plowing the field, planting the seeds, watering the seeds. And now the apostles get to show up and just harvest. God needed somebody to show up willing to go out and finish the work that other men had begun. I don't know exactly where we're at here in Potch, but I would be surprised if this is harvest time. And and the reason I say that is when you go out and talk to people, you don't find them one after another going, oh, oh, I want to get saved. You know what you find? A lot of hard hearts and a lot of hard heads a lot of stubbornness and rebellion and there's not much of a hunger for the word of the Lord. And it might be, listen, when it comes to a harvest you got to understand that it's going to take laborers. And it's not just, okay, somebody else go do all the work. I'll just pull in the fruit when it's done. No, no. Harvest means we start at the breaking of the ground phase. And we might be there again. 
where we need to go out and plow. And for the next 10 years, we're just going to plow the ground here in Potch. And, and, and take, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt a little bit. And, and some people might get offended that, hey, here's the gospel. You need, oh, man, we've had church for so many decades. Why do we need to hear this? Because your heart's hard again. And the ground's hard. And people call themselves Christians and know nothing about Jesus Christ. Amen. It's a family title that has been passed down and they have no personal relationship with the Lord. And it shows in the way that they live. And we might have to plow. And we might have to plant. And we might have to water and we may have to do it for two or three decades so that your children can go out into the harvest fields and see dozens and hundreds saved. But the reason it's so difficult now is because somebody dropped the ball a few decades ago and thought, well, we preached the gospel 150 years ago. We made a covenant 180 years ago. Shouldn't that be enough? No. No, it's not. We, we, we need to preach the gospel to every creature, every generation, over and over. This work doesn't stop. The work is plenteous. There's plenty to do. We do it. Listen, what was the command Paul gave Timothy? Preach the word. Be instant. In season, out of season. In season, time to, time to harvest. Out of season, time to plow. What do you do? Preach the word. Preach the word. Preach the word. So it's plenteous. And lastly, verse 38. Verse 38 says, Pray ye therefore. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. I find, I've honestly scratched my head more than once on, on this verse. I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. It, it, I get it that we should pray about lost souls. But Jesus asked us to pray something very specific here. Pray therefore that the Lord sends laborers. Okay. I, when I go into the Lord to pray and I say, Lord, I need this, this, this. Does the Lord already know what I need? Sure. But I step in because perhaps I don't know what I need. So I'm, I'm good there. But I feel a little bit strange going into God saying, God, this is what you need. <laughs> that feels a little weird. <laughs> Lord, you need laborers. <laughs> that just sounds weird. But, but I found this, anytime something sounds weird like that, there's usually some real deep, important truth beneath the surface of it. And if you dig enough, you'll find that deep truth. As I was praying about this verse this week, I said, God, why, why, Lord, do you need me to pray about laborers for your harvest? You already know the need. You pointed it out to us. So since you already know about it, why do you need me to pray about it? You're on the job. You're mindful. You care. Why would me praying make a difference? All right, I got a, I got a thought for you here. What does it say in 1 Corinthians 3? We are laborers together with God. We are laborers together with God. You're on a team. It's a team effort. You know what a team has to do in order to be successful? Every team. Doesn't matter what team it is, what sport it is, you must communicate. Without communication, that team is... <laughs> it won't work. 
It won't work. You must communicate. Watch this. God loves communication. He loves it. He loves it. First chapter in the Bible. God said, let us make man in our image. He's he's talking to himself. (laughs) Within the Godhead, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost constantly having conversations. What does it say in Romans 8? He that searcheth the hearts, that's the Father, knoweth what is the mind of the Spirit, because he maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Down a few verses later, it says, Christ also is making intercession for us. You know what's happening when you pray? The Trinity starts having a conversation about you. And, and, and here's what he's doing. Jesus says, pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest, that he sends forth laborers into the harvest. So, so what do we do? We, 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 we get into the throne room. We shut the door of our prayer closet. And we say, Father, uh, your son said that I should come in and talk to you about the harvest. Uh, I, I see the need. I've been out there. I tried to help, but it was so hard. The ground was so hard. And Lord, I, I, we need more help. God, please send more help. And, and, and the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, they, they bring you into the huddle. And they go, all right, come here. Let's share the plan with you. It, this is a conversation starter. That's what I think Jesus is wanting us to do. This is your, this, what do you say when you step into a board meeting of really important people? You just go in and you stay quiet, right? Who am I that's talk at this meeting? Jesus says, here's what you say at the meeting. You step into heaven and you say, I've been involved and I see the need. Can I just make a formal request? Can you send some more laborers? And the father says, I'm glad you asked. Let's loop you in on what the plan is. God loves communication. He doesn't need your input. He wants it. He doesn't need your ideas. He has plenty. He just likes that you're involved. Guess what happens when you get into the boardroom, when you get into the huddle, and you start talking to the Lord? You you know what happens? He says, oh, this one's interested. This this one's paying attention. Look at Matthew 10. Look at verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 4, verse 5. Do you see it? See what Jesus does? Pray, guys. Disciples, go pray about sending laborers out. Oh, by the way, come here. You're getting sent out. They got in the huddle. God loves that communication. I played American football. How many of you have watched American football? All right. All right. There's a few saved people here today. Okay. (laughs) So I, I was the quarterback. I was the quarterback. So after every play, unlike rugby, and I must admit, I prefer rugby as far as watching the sport. I do, I do, because it's faster pace. You guys get more done. Uh, America, it's, oh, we, it takes three hours to watch a 35-minute game. <laughs> Literally, the action takes 30 minutes, but it takes two and a half hours because after every play, we blow the whistle, and then the teams huddle up, right? So we all get around, and now when I played we didn't have all the fancy equipment. But in today's game, the coach wears a, an earpiece, kind of like mine, but you know, the bigger kind with the speaker there uh, and a microphone there. And the quarterback has a speaker in his helmet. So the coach actually has a guy up in the booth who has a playbook. 
and tells him, run this play. The coach then gets the play and tells the quarterback, here's the play. Now, their plays are complicated. Oh, my goodness. Run X, Y, Z, triple set, jet right, 42, B, go. I'm like, what? It means nothing to me. But th those guys on the team, they know every letter, every word, every, every uh, number has a meaning. And every player listens for his part so that he knows what to do in that play. When I was a player, we'd wait in the huddle and coach would send one fresh player on. There's 11 players on the field. One fresh player would come on and he would bring the play into the huddle, tell me, I tell the team. So I'd say, all right, trap 22, blue on right, boom, and then we go. We call the play. If you're not in the huddle, you know what's going to happen? Everybody else lines up. Quarterback gets there, blue 42, blue 42, hut, hut, and then we go. Everybody immediately were working together because we were in the huddle. I said we were in the huddle. And then we know, okay, play starts. You run here, you block this guy, I hand you the ball, you go over there. Everybody plays a part to accomplish the goal. But imagine the guy who wasn't in the huddle. You know what he's going to do? He's going to stand there like this going. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and the next thing, the next thing he knows, he will be flat on his back on the ground. <laughs> Someone is going to wham, knock him over. And that's where a lot of Christians end up. Because Jesus is concerned about the harvest. He's concerned about getting souls to the Father. And when we huddle up, when we pray, Lord, I know this means something to you. So, so I, I was told to bring this up. What's the plan, Lord? What's the play? And then as he starts calling things out, as one sermon goes out, you might have heard one thing today. You say, okay, that's what I need to do. And then you might have heard another thing. That's what I need to do. And the Holy Spirit touches your heart and says, yeah, but at your job you could do this. And then the Holy Spirit touches your heart and says, yeah, but at school you do that. And then all of a sudden, everybody's going this direction, that direction, but with purpose. Not just running around scattered abroad, but with purpose. Jesus is calling us to huddle up. He's calling us to pray. Today, maybe you heard him say, well, you could hand out some more tracks. You could do that. Grab a stack on your way out. You could do that. Perhaps the Lord puts it on your heart. You need to invite some people to church. Maybe you're not comfortable to sit down with somebody, open the Bible, and explain to them how to be saved, but you could invite them to church. Maybe you just need to go to somebody and say, hey, I'm praying for you. Just tell them that. That works. That works. Perhaps the Lord has put it on your heart today that you need to learn how to explain the gospel to somebody. It, it's time for that. You've grown enough in your Christian life. It's time that you start telling others. You know what the Lord might tell you to do? As you pray about it, the Lord might say, I've given you a really good job in a good business. Work hard at that job, make good money, and give a large chunk of it to missions. That could be the plan. And, and chances are, it's going to be a combination. Chances are, you can probably pass out a track and invite somebody to church and share the gospel with and give a little to missions, all of this. But when you get in the huddle and start to pray about it, 
the Lord will show you when and where and who and what and how much and all of that starts to fall into place. You know what we need to pray for? He says in verse 38, pray for laborers to be sent. Church, will you help me pray? This is something I've prayed for for 21 years since I landed, well, longer than that, but especially since the day I landed in Africa, I've been praying that God would raise up men to go into the ministry, full-time pastors and missionaries. We've seen God answer that prayer in our church, haven't we? I don't think the Lord's done with that, but that's what we're here for. And you say, well, that means if I'm not in the full-time ministry as a missionary or pastor, then somehow, you know, I'm failing. Not at all, not at all, Be- because we're a team. We're a team. Because when I take the ball, hut, I drop back with the ball. I need some big, strong men in front of me staying right there with me, holding the defense back so that I don't get hit, so that I can throw the ball long because there's going to be one guy that runs really fast and really far. And if we're not holding the fort, if, if we're not doing our job as a local church, functioning well as a group here, that guy going down the field to catch the ball, I won't have time to throw it. He won't make it. So God might say, no, your job is to stay right here at home and just hold on tight. But it starts with us huddling up and saying, okay, I see the problem. Now, Lord, how do you want to use me to do something about the harvest? Moved by the multitudes. Let's all stand. Heads bowed and eyes closed. Heads bowed, eyes closed. The pianist will play something softly. We sang it earlier, bringing in the sheaves. We shall come rejoicing, bringing in the sheaves. Friend, you can't come rejoicing if you are not busy doing something about the harvest. We are laborers together with God. You are a part of the best team there ever will be. Find out what your, what your position is. What are your duties? How can you help? We want to have a strong, close-knit, unified local church so that some can be trained, sent out to start other strong, unified, active local churches, whether that's in South Africa or some other country in the world. That's our great commission. Go ye therefore, teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. That's our commission. Jesus said He will be with us all the way to the end of the world. Praise God. We are laborers together with Him. So I urge you today to get involved. If you're here today, 
and you feel like one of the multitude, just running around, worn out, no direction, not sure where you're going to go when you die. Your life feels scattered. Perhaps today you need to come to the shepherd and say, Lord, I'm a lost sheep. I'm a lost sheep. But today I want to yield to you as my shepherd. Please save me, lead me, guide me. I'm tired of running my own life. I want you to run it. Would you do that today? If you've never been saved, it's that simple, friend. Jesus, I'm tired. And I don't even know how to properly ask. I just want you to be my shepherd. Jesus said, if you come to me, I will in no wise cast you out. He won't say no. If you got some questions about it, you find me afterwards. But I hope you pray. Listen, you can't just huddle up once. In a football game, you have to huddle after every play. We need to huddle up every week, every day, pray. God, what, what about today? So we'll say amen here in a moment and be dismissed. But I hope you keep praying about the harvest. Father, thank you. It is a privilege, an absolute privilege to be a laborer together with you. And I trust that today, God, you have, you have spoken to hearts as you see fit. I pray that you would help us to have ears to hear. Lord, as, as we break into our separate, go separate directions, break into, into our, go home, go to a restaurant, go here, there. Lord, help us to be busy about your business. Help us, Lord, to be moved by the multitude. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, you folks, enjoy some fellowship. Have a good time.